Welcome back to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. I'm Eric Silberman. And I'm Jane Crosby. Thanks for joining us again. We're really excited about this week's interview with Victor Rice from UNC Healthcare. Yeah, it was really great talking to Victor. I mean, you know, really clear, crisp vision for exactly how they're going about vaccine communications. That was a that was kind of a big centerpiece of, of our dialogue. And one of the things that, that I was impressed with was how well connected to consumer insights his perspective or, or the organization's perspective was for how they were, were going to market. I agree. And Vic was so transparent about what their organization has gone through and how they've adapted to the pandemic situation and delivered their community really meaningful information throughout the process. And it touches on a few kind of key things that I think are relevant for healthcare marketers today. One is obviously vaccine rollout and communication and ongoing pandemic response. The other two are how we look at underserved or what Vic calls untapped communities and ensure that we're delivering access to every community member as healthcare marketers. And the third is how we use data to make decisions in an actually meaningful and relevant way that drives, again, better access, better messaging, and better marketing strategies overall. I thought um, that that piece of it, you know, was was really interesting. And, and we'll let the audience here hear from, from Victor Rice about it. But, but I was really interested in this interconnectivity between the national research really local research and then kind of the divination of, of really meaningful insights out of that, that approach felt really clear-eyed to me. Yeah, I agree. It was great. And I think there's a lot to learn in listening to Victor's interview with us. So without further ado, I think we should dive right in. Hey, Victor, it's great to have you on the podcast. We really appreciate you joining. As we get started, do you mind introducing yourself for our audience? Yes, uh, first of all, thank you for the invitation. This voice is uh, Vic Rice. I am the uh, Vice President of Consumerism and Insights, which is a in our marketing function at uh, UNC Health in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Good stuff. We're really excited to have you on, and I think you have some really unique insights to share with our listeners. We've been hosting this podcast for a few months now. One of the things we've tried not to do is make it all about COVID-19, which is admittedly challenging right now. But I do want to talk a little bit about COVID-19 with you because in chatting with you a couple of weeks ago, I do think you have a really unique perspective and approach to serving what you call untapped communities. Would you mind talking a little bit about your approach to those untapped communities and how you're handling the vaccine rollout process today? Absolutely. We can approach it two ways. I can jump straight in and explain the untapped communities, or I can talk about how we arrived at really uh, focusing in on the untapped community. So I'll leave it up to you. I'd love to hear about both, Eric. I don't know if you have a different view, but I'd love to hear about both because I think your perspective and approach. Okay, so I'll take the liberty and I'll start at the beginning because I think it's important as it provides a contextual backdrop on how we designed our vaccine communications approach, then how we made the pivot to really zeroing in on what we're calling the untapped communities. So with that being said, is that we started from a foundation that was built on consumer insights. Uh, we have that existing capability um, at UNC Health, and it's important that everything that we do starts based upon the consumer. We like to say, is a consumer 
in this room or in our new virtual world is the consumer on this WebEx, Zoom, or Microsoft Teams. And it's important that we start with uh, consumer insights is that we all, as human beings, we have eyesight and when we're all gathered in a room. The one thing that is common is that we have eyesight, but you can have eyesight, but not have insight. And so this is where our team that is focused on consumer insights add the flavor where we can explain the why. So we specifically started tracking the vaccines in fall. This was important because we have a monthly brand tracker that we place in the market. And we started swapping out questions to really understand when a vaccine was made available, we wanted to gauge the audience if there was a likelihood or if there was some hesitation around vaccines, which we knew ultimately we would need to start to using those insights to formulate our plan. So we asked questions around the likelihood and for those that were pro-vaccine acceptance, we probe deeper to understand the reasons why, but also for those that display that they were not interested, um, we also probe to understand uh, more of the why. I won't go, on, go into all the details, but I do wanna share a couple of insights that we learned along the way. It's that the, for those that were for the vaccine, their biggest driving force was to protect the health of their family members and close friends. And then it really focused in on N of one, which is my current health and my long-term health. So that was enlightening that people were, had greater concern for others and their close family members versus it being about them as an individual. For those that were hesitant, it was really about not understanding the long-term effects of the COVID uh, vaccine. And also there was concerns around how fast or the, the process, um, how it was developed. One of the things we found is that the term Operation Warp Speed became a negative. And so we knew not to use specifically Warp Speed to talk about the vaccine because it came with negative connotation. What have you learned about the likelihood of healthcare providers getting the vaccine? We also, in our consumer insights, we looked at national studies. There was a study provided by a national firm around providers. Again, we had a consumer insights voice, but we also wanted to understand what are providers saying. And this study indicated that there was skepticism among providers um, citing safety and efficacy concerns and only one quarter of those respondents felt comfortable recommending the vaccines to uh, friends and family. So the takeaway for us is that we knew we had our work to do, not only with our community, but our own providers as well. There was another study that we looked at and it really looked at 100,000 visits between October and early January. And that study showed that there was a strong correlation for those who wanted to get the vaccine, that the vaccine benefits outweigh the risk. So people are starting to hear about the side effects, but they say, look, the promise, it, the promise of the vaccine definitely trumps the risk that might be associated um, with it. So again, taking national studies, taking our own individual study, the final area is that we wanted to get a little bit more context or flavor. 
So we used our teams to set up focus groups to test our proposed messages to ensure that they were going to resonate and they were going to accomplish the original objective. So we actually intentionally staffed a focus group based upon those that were the vaccine hesitant population. And of that vaccine hesitant population, we over-indexed in our focus groups with those that are Black and Latinx. Again, we wanted to make sure their voices were there. The impact that or the insight that I remember clear to this day from the focus groups was when a respondent said, I just want to wear lipstick again. It's great. You know, I'm interested. How did research inform your vaccine communication strategy specifically? So with all of the insights and the focus groups, we pivoted towards developing our messaging framework, but there was a guiding principle that was in the room. And one of my colleagues said it best using the guarding analogy. Whenever you overwater a parched plant, it cannot absorb all the water and can go into shock or the water just runs dry through the soil. So that told us that we had a lot of information, but if we hit people aggressively and just really just, I don't know what's called it, overpower the audience, with all this information, it could have the opposite effect of really driving an impact. So with those insights, that allowed us to develop our marketing and communications approach. We knew from the insights, we had three audience segments. The first was those that were skeptical and critical of the vaccine. Second is unsure and need more information and the third was those that are ready and willing to get the vaccine. Within those audience segments, there were also mindsets that we needed to ensure that we uh, address. And that's the early adopter. How fast can you give it to me? I want it today. Then there was the other uh, group of mindset was yes, maybe, perhaps. I'm thinking about it. I'm on the fence. I want to see others. And the third category, those that were skeptical, but needed to be convinced um, with education. So we worked with our outside agency and we developed a campaign theme that's called, this is your shot. And it was intentional that we wanted to not only focus on our external audience, but we needed to also focus in on our internal audience. It's important to meet both the internal and external where they are. And I tell people, even though there are our, our coworkers, our providers, they're human beings and they have concerns. So we wanted to make sure that we had an intentional focus on our internal and external audiences. So we came up with a campaign manifesto. When you take a look at vaccine education and insights, we had it, we, we knew it was important to shift everyone into more of a game frame messaging framework. What is there to gain and not so much about the vaccine itself, it's how can we elevate everyone into a different mindset. And I'll quickly share with you uh, the manifesto because I believe it really, it tells a story 
uh, the essence of why we landed with uh, this is your shot. And so our manifesto for the campaign is simple. There's not a single one of us who hasn't been affected by COVID-19. There's not a single one of us who hasn't wished for a day that this would go away. Wondered who would be the first to find the answer. Wondered how it would all go down. And now finally, we have our shot. This is our shot to get back to normal. Our shot to reconnect with our families and friends. Our shot to change the world. Back to what we remember, but also to something entirely new. Let this be that time that we really start to care for others. Let this be a new awakening that those around us matter. Let it be the time we realize our impact on everything around us. We can absolutely be the change. We can absolutely go down in history for good and not bad. This is your shot. So it's with that manifesto, we developed a messaging framework that is centered on get educated and around this is your shot, but it's intentional that we are not being coercive, not transactional, it's really focused on being empathetic. Our framework is around three pillars, prepare our people, prepare our community, and then provide the best experience. Use vaccine as a service or view it as a vaccine as a service and really try to provide the best experience. And I have this saying is that, uh, especially from the experience perspective, they are customers, patients, consumers, or even citizens. They are not hostages. Talk to us a little bit about how UNC Health decided to make untapped communities one of the highest priorities when you guys were communicating about the vaccine. So with that, we launched a campaign but as we started to take a look at some of the early results from those who were getting vaccinated and we started looking at national data, it was clear that somewhere along the line, there was a disconnect or we were not doing a good job in reaching uh, what some people call vulnerable populations, some call it underserved. We like to call the segment untapped because we believe underserved is essentially means that they have been poorly served and that's not their fault, that's on us. So we refer to that category as untapped because that has a business connotation to it. Everyone wants to go after an untapped market. So we are focused in on the promise. So we had that moment where we said, does the results that we see, does it align with our mission of the healthcare organization which is to improve the health and well-being of all North Carolinians and others whom we serve. Keyword, all. We also overlay that with our diversity, equity, and inclusion vision. And part of that statement is that we want to be inclusive, equitable, and have an anti-racist culture for the health and well-being of our patients, co-workers and communities. Once again, all. 
So then we develop an inclusive engagement vision and it was really focused on creating equity and opportunity for the vaccination in hopes that that will result in an uptake in vaccination rates around Blacks and Latinx. So really to go back to understand who the untapped audience is, typically it's uninsured or underinsured. They're more likely to have a strong reliance on public transportation, more likely to be in a job that's considered essential, more likely to live in multi-generational housing, more likely to experience food insecurity, less likely to get a flu shot, and more likely to live with a chronic condition. So I use this term pivot or an audible. We had to call an audible with our approach. It, it meant we were still in the same game, but we had to change the playbook. So essentially what we did is that we turned our plan upside down to where we are leading with the focus on Black and Latinx um, because we believe that that is the approach that will hopefully help arrest some of the numbers that we saw that were heading in the uh, wrong direction. So what we have done now is that we have two groups ready and willing for Black and Latinx. Then we have vaccine hesitancy group for Black and Latinx. It's important to note, and this is something that is uh, critical, when you take a look at those that have been vaccinated to date, and you see that the number uh, for Blacks or Latinx is not being consistent with the percentage or the population, it's not a reflection of them being vaccine hesitant. It's more about equitable opportunity. There are Blacks and Latinx that are hand raisers that want the vaccine. So that number is not the vaccine hesitant, it's really the lack of being able to effectively be able to schedule and create the access for um, Blacks and Latinx. So some of the things that we are doing to help close that gap is that we have instituted text campaigns, outbound calls, direct mail, and we're also developing the appropriate toolkits that we can provide for community partners. Again, those are for those that are ready and willing. Under our vaccine hesitant category, we see it with three pillars, to inform, to persuade, and to convert. So we're using more of the truth telling around inform to help bring forth the stories and the testimonials. So for those who need additional information or they want to see others that look like them, that have received the vaccine, we are accelerating the curation of those stories. Along that same line, we have to uh, have content focused on myth busting. There's a lot of, there's, there are active disinformation campaigns that are in the market. So we wanna be that single source of truth. So we're dialing up our content in that area. For our community partners under Persuade, we're using outreach, uh, we're developing co-branded templates and we are sending our mobile units into the communities to make healthcare more accessible 
and in close proximity to the uh, target. Then finally, and this is later, once we get to where there's more available supply overlay with demand, we are planning uh, some large activations that hopefully could potentially bring large mass events closer to that uh, untapped uh, market. So I'll close here with saying with the untapped community is that there has been a challenge, I believe, when we take a look at all of our algorithms and our focus on being efficient, hitting cost spurs, cost per acquisition, cost per clicks, is that in many instances that has blocked out our ability to reach some of the, what we call these untapped audiences because some of the channels that might be effective, it's hard to quote unquote, show tracking and conversion. I'll use a sign in a laundromat. It's hard to uh, convert or really be able to show attribution, but for a certain segment, that is a, a visible area. And so that's the reason why we are going back and taking a look at not only those above the line activities, what are some of those below the line activities that will help us be effective in our outreach uh, to the untapped audience? Victor, wow. I mean, that's a really great kind of crispness of insights application to the manifesto for, for how you went to market, some of the pivots that, that you made. I've got a, a series of questions um, for you about it, if, if you don't mind. Okay. Maybe kind of just, I'll start at the end and kind of work, work backwards for a minute. When you think about vaccine hesitancy, ready and willing in the untapped market, which, which you articulated very crisply is also a particularly high risk market for, for complications associated with COVID and, and impact on associated family members. You touched on this a little bit in terms of methodology for outreach, but how do you think about segmentation of those populations when it comes to, to marketing outreach? I, I, my head kind of goes two places. You can have these two sets of messages, one for ready and willing and one for vaccine hesitancy that has the more of the myth busting piece and make sure that everybody sees all of those or, or tell me about the kind of precision availability of being able to isolate a hesitant population versus a ready and willing population and how you're thinking about that. Yeah, so it's what for one is that as I tell people, um, it's illegal to if you had a test that was being given. I would say it's probably legal. Maybe it's lack of integrity if you grade your own work. So I tell people we are never satisfied. So we start at a basis of um, we will not be satisfied until we believe we have uh, met those um, and we've been able to get to communications and move those who are vaccine hesitant to what I call uh, ready and um, willing. Mm -hmm. um, is a challenge right now, as I say, to when you take a look at segmentation, one of the things that our insights is, is really starting to show a picture of what I call the fault lines. Um, and we're starting to see movement. And so one of the things that, that once we take a look at ready, willing, and the vaccine hesitant, the goal of the vaccine hesitant, if we are effective communicators, is to move those people into what I call the ready and willing. What we don't want is that those are ready and willing, somehow they move into the vaccine hesitant, which is sure. just possible 
if we if there continue to be challenges around a poor experience with getting a vaccine or something we haven't really talked about is that the anti-vaxxers they're well funded they are they're larger and if they're out there talking as well so we're working to make sure the ready and willing does not shift into the vaccine hesitant and make sure the vaccine hesitant doesn't go further to the right and become entrenched so our goal is to continue with the series of the education. We believe if we are providing the, the education and are using individuals that people trust and really understanding that there's a lot of intersectionality around who is a trusted influencer. I think the top one right now that we are seeing is that if the physician or the provider has consistently scored the highest, but there are others. There are the employers, uh, there are members you know, of the clergy. There are what we call our grass top, uh, some political officials that are important, and even there are some organizations. And so the way we're approaching is that we're not gonna be, we'll be selective around making sure people are credible, but we're not going to have an exclusive list. We believe it's important to be inclusive. Um, so our goal is to quickly, uh, again, make that information accessible, which is one of the reasons why I'm not sure if I did a good job in my opening preamble, is that we created a dedicated website, yourshot.org, that is really focused in on being a COVID vaccine information hub. We made an intentional decision early on is to not make it a just another page on our website. We wanted, because you know, a lot of you know, healthcare hospital sites have a different purpose and we did not want this just for someone to get buried or lost on our site. So we made a page that was accessible, but also understanding that we, again, looking at insights, our coworkers are humans. You know, there are vaccine hesitant among, you know, people who work in a healthcare setting. So we wanted to make sure whatever we were talking about external, we were talking about this, we were having the same conversation internal and vice versa. So we wanted to make sure that we had a democratization of being able to get the information where you don't have to navigate a cumbersome website or if you are an internal um, employee where you would have to go behind a firewall or intranet to access the information. I wanted to ask you about this because one of the, one of the things that I have been fascinated by or really interested in over the last years, I'll admit that I had some expectation of uniformity of perception among the clinical population around what the epidemiological right thing to do was. And you, but you touched on in your, in your introduction to, to your approach that you were finding some real variance among the physician population in terms of long-term effects, uh, speed to market, some of those things. Any, anything that you want to share about kind of how communicating with physicians is different or the same as the, the communication that you're pursuing with your, your consumer population? Yeah, so it was interesting here. And so that um, study was a national study. Um, we did not necessarily uh, poll or do a survey with our providers. Honestly, we had been uh, polling our providers throughout um, COVID, and at a certain point, we felt, especially with the rising COVID, um, you know, inserting a survey uh, could be a distraction or it's already taxing on people who are already tired. But we used that as a proxy 
Uh, one of the things we have found is that we've had strong adoption. Now, a lot there's a lot of reasons behind this strong uh, adoption among not only our providers, but also our coworkers. It could be because again, Academic Medical Center, a lot of our researchers or clinicians were heavily involved, not only in the vaccine development process with some of the clinical trials. And so people have been hearing information from a trusted source throughout um, the time period. So we believe that gave us a tailwind um, in this effort. And then those that we were starting to hear, you know, some people, I think it was one of those things like, I don't want to be first. So as long as you go first, I'll go first. Um, and so those who had probably given an indication that they would be hesitant as soon as the vaccine became available, um, we did not see that. It kind of goes back to that old consumer, the irrational versus rational. Sometimes what people say that they're going to do. Right. Um, might do the total opposite. Um, and so that's that's been our experience up until this point, specifically around providers. I believe you, you, if you're a provider or physician, you're looking at the data, you see the information, you appreciate the science. So if there's any nuance is that the science is probably important to you, but for the public, there are some in the public that need the science information but let's face it, there are some in the public that hitting them with science is only going to confuse them. So what analogies can you use or what are some of the comparisons that will help explain an mRNA or some of these other components? And even when you talk, take a look at some you know, untapped community, how do you make the information relatable where you still have the same message, but you've basically you've been able to adapt it to where the message is sticking with it with the intended audience. I love the gardening example, by the way. Uh, you know the the kind of flash flood effect of of too much information. I think is a great great point of view and and one that I'll take into my own professional life on the heels of, of your offering it. Yeah, I loved that too, Victor. So much of the insights that you've shared over the last half hour or so, I think, are really additive to overall marketing strategy too. So I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about digital innovation and consumerism and where you're headed and some of the advice you have to share with other marketers. One thing you talked about a little bit that I want to dive into a little bit more is this idea that for untapped communities, oftentimes more traditional channels have been effective at reaching them with relevant information. And I think that's really interesting because healthcare has gone from traditional to digital, and now we're seeing more and more organizations invest in both in really appropriate ways. Can you talk a little bit more about UNC's digital innovation curve, where you're at today and how you use consumerism to drive channel mix strategy and your kind of overarching marketing approach beyond just COVID? Yes. So I'll probably say the best way to describe our uh, where we are on that curve is that is it's evolving, it's part evolution and uh, revolution. So stay tuned over the next, I uh, would say 12 to 18 months, there should be some significant uh, you know, changes that we are making to improve what we call the digital experience. At the highest level, one of the things that I always keep top of mind is that are we doing digital or are we, are, or are we being digital? You know, there's a big difference. I think a lot of people are focused in on doing digital versus being digital. And you know, being digital means that you have an acute focus on continuous transformation that requires at its core the ability to balance 
and rebalance the business and operational strategies and rapidly and repeatedly adjust to the ever consumer changing attitudes and behaviors. Our goal is from a digital perspective is to win those health moments that matter. Um, and we like to say in our, uh, from our digital perspective is that we wanna guide consumers towards information that they need to make a decision. The second is that we want to take a closer look or reimagine our digital front door by honestly reducing the number of side doors that we have to improve that engagement and experience. And then finally, we want to digitally connect health and wellness information with consumers' desire to make healthy choices. That is rooted really in a job to be done framework. What is the consumer hiring us to do? And so it's not about the next app, the next technology plug-in, the next piece of software, is how does this help provide a connected experience across any touch point that will help uh, the consumer equip them with information for whatever decision that they are attempting to make. So that in a nutshell describes our current digital position, but also uh, our evolution and our revolution um, strategy. Um, and I will stop there and see if there's any follow-up questions. I think it's great insight. I'm really excited to see what you guys accomplish. Sounds like a fun time to be a part of the UNC marketing communications team. Um, one of the things I also wanted to talk about that we had a chance to touch on just a little bit a couple of weeks ago is this idea that in healthcare data and consumerism is something that everyone's willing to admit is important, but I think a lot of organizations struggle to reduce it to practice, both in terms of getting meaningful data and then utilizing it in a way that's meaningful to consumers. What's worked well for you and your teams over the years, and what advice would you have for other marketers who know they need to be using data more, but are maybe struggling to, again, put that into practice? All right, good question. Um, I'll use a leadership quote because I think it applies here from those that are in marketing, or even if you're sitting in a consumer insights um, function, um, there's always saying that a good leader uh, knows the way, shows the way, then goes the way. So knowing the way, you have to uh, grab um, your audience's attention with credibility. How can you be credible, not only around consumer insights, but can you connect the insights and the data back to the organizational priorities and not make it complicated? because sometimes it is complicated, but how can you drill it down to where people have that aha uh, moment? Then you also have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and show. Trust me, here's a way that we can apply it. If you need to use the P word pilot, feel free to use uh, the P word in order for people that might be on the fence to be willing to move in a direction and then you have to uh, be able, as I say, you have to be able to have receipts to prove, and that's going the way. Being able to show evidence of how you move something from A to B and how it was better by being informed um, with insight. So that's the first thing is really knowing the way, showing the way, and going the way. The other uh, aspect is to be aware of your culture. Part of what the challenger headwind we all face sometimes is the culture. It could be the culture 
within your marketing department. It could be within a micro team or it could be an organizational culture. Um, does your culture match your aspirations? If you wanna be digital, um, does your culture create an environment uh, that's rooted on being agile, rapid experimentation or rapid failure? The other one is around investments. Often we are, we have to carry the burden of technical debt. There have been decisions made within a time period that you feel like you're just trying to catch up. Um, and so how do you uh, move from that technical debt into a place where not only you can match, but exceed expectations? The final two around like integration, making sure working with the different groups with inside the organization, don't be a lone ranger. How can you be a good partner and bring in your partners with your information technology, your security, or whatever teams that you need that have access to the uh, data warehouses who can help make sure you drive a strong integration and experience uh, layer. Ultimately, this will help you with the final aspect is to ensure that you have connected tools. I'm sure if you were to uh, look behind uh, the door of most organizations, there are tools that are connected, but there's probably 70% of other tools that don't have a connection point. So how can you within a short time period not eliminate a person's go, you know, I guess you know, their, their, their pet project, but how can you get all of these uh, tools to uh, be connected and really work towards providing um, the ultimate customer experience? That is one of the things that that I wanted to ask you about a little bit is just the tool piece. And, and I realize, you know, that can be a pretty sweeping subject matter in and of itself. But, you know, you shared some of the national research, the follow up that you did with focus groups, but you arrived at some really crisp categorical insights about the audiences that you were reaching. You know, just briefly, are there some kind of go to tools and methodology pieces of the puzzle that, that you could share with our audience if, if they're thinking about how to build better consumer insights? Yeah, um, so I'll share our tools. They're not the only tools, but it's the tools that um, we've used. So a couple of things is that I'll talk about the tools and I'll probably talk about um, the talent and the people. Um, so we do have a, what I call it, we have subscription to a tool that allows us to rapidly turn on uh, surveys where we are able to do the uh, qualitative surveys. Again, that goes back to the fact that we um, have uh, monthly uh, brand trackers that we place in the market, but then we also um, have vendors that we work with, but also we use a lot of resources in-house where we can flex and be able to do uh, focus groups, not only around vaccines, but we also are doing work on other business challenges or if someone is, says here, here is our organizational priority, we are attempting to make sure that we validate that with qualitative, definite, uh, quantitative, um, but definitely in some areas, how can we scale for qualitative? We also, at least in healthcare, you know, with Press Ganey, of course, most people use Press Ganey because it's, it's a direct uh, byproduct into HCAPS, but they also had a unique feature, a dynamic survey. And that's what we turned on in November. So that survey that people normally get, they had the option where we could add vaccine 
readiness questions. And so we started, I think it was five questions that we added in. So as people were having an encounter with the healthcare system, we are able to get a proxy on their likelihood to get a vaccine. So now we have what we call general public consumer insights, but then we also have what our patients are telling us um, and how they may or may not get the, uh, you know, the vaccine. Um, but we also really rely on the talent of the team. Uh, the team is well versed in a quantitative application. So there's a lot that we're able to do in-house not because we don't necessarily have the resources, because we have the skill set that allows us to be able to really manage from end to end uh, some of our research studies. But when uh, the situation or the business objective calls for it, we are able to use outside uh, sources to augment uh, some of the qualitative uh, aspects. So that's a long way of saying is that we're building a consumer insights engine. A, that's based upon having the tools where we can turn on immediately, but also being able to have a, you know, options depending on the business objective and the uh, problem that we're trying to solve where we can use external uh, resources based upon, you know, how our team feels it's not only the best method, but also given the time constraints, uh, it allows us a flexibility to scale up or scale down. You've been really generous with your perspective on kind of the what and how and, and what you've learned. And, and I really appreciate it. Uh, before we part ways, I, I wanted to ask you about one more thing, which is you just published a new book. Tell us a little bit about, about that. Well, I'm in a process. So uh, maybe you are, it's wishful thinking because I do need to <laughs> finish a book, but it's really, it's a, I, I have a heart for you know, small businesses. And I talked to a lot of small businesses and I found myself over the past advising, you know, sometimes you tell small business, uh, you know, a little uh, something about marketing and digital, uh, you find yourself <laughs> by organically uh, giving advice. And one of the things I found is that we have been exposed to the best of the best, whether it's been through our corporation or just honestly practical experience. So how can I take that information that it's a no-brainer for most of us, and how can I make that information come to life for those that honestly have just not been in this position? So I am writing a book that could help small businesses build out their digital strategies, their digital reputation, and how they can call it improve their, what I call it, e-commerce or shopping cart experience. Uh, there have been times that me as a, being a consumer, I'm frustrated and then I realize, okay, they just don't know. And so what I wanna do is help close that gap um, to make sure that anyone that um, decides to operate uh, in this digital or virtual world that they could be successful and there is not a blind spot in that, in that mirror um, that they're simply or just not aware of. And so that's what my focus is on. I'm probably 60, 70% uh, complete with the book. I will tell you COVID has put um, a big pause on it um, because again, we've been at this since uh, February. So really coming up on one year, um, it's been COVID, the downs of vaccine. Um, so finding that additional time um, has been a challenge, but in the, in the interim, I've also found myself fascinated for reading other books. Um, and so one of the benefits of 
the pandemic is that I've been able to resume reading. And so I have, I've probably completed 10 books. Uh, some of the favorite books that I've read over the past six months have been uh, Lead from the Future, uh, Seeing Around Corners, Upstream, Competing Against Luck, and Building a Story Brand. I've also have been fascinated around the possibilities of how we can reform healthcare. And so some of the healthcare books that I've read is uh, Reframing Healthcare, which is honestly my favorite book, uh, Mistreated, The American Healthcare Paradox and the Health Gap. So you'll see that I'll, by books, I start futuristic, thinking about the future. <laughs> then I bring it back to healthcare about what can we change with healthcare, but also understanding some of the challenges with healthcare around disparities, um, hence the health gap and the healthcare paradox. So that helps keep my brain, uh, call it mental gymnastics, um, balancing the short term, but also being able to have a little bit of the foresight as well as insight. Vic, I've read about a hundred books since March, and I'll be honest, not a single one is a business or healthcare book. So <laughs> I was going to say, I am going to take a recommendation from your list. <laughs> yeah, I've read one book from Vic's list, so I'm a complete slacker. I have not read a hundred books since last March. <laughs> Victor Rice, thanks so much for joining us on the Healthcare Insight Podcast today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Vic. Really enjoyed it. 